Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranla, called but of a gun put into the back of your skull, that's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm Not Here to Hurt You, a brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the first ever Left Wing Podcast. I'm Will Slattery, joined in studio by, well, it will be as always from now on, Luke Fitzgerald. Luke, we were, last year we were doing the Left Wing. It was more of a visual thing. Now it's, we're purely audio. Are you excited? I'm really excited. I mean, we haven't gone completely away from that. I think we might have one or two uh, throughout the year. We'll see how things are going, Will. But I'm really excited about this platform. I think it gives people a longer opportunity. I think it's a bit easier as well for people just to listen in, uh, you know, whether they're traveling to work or whatever they're doing. Um, through this kind of platform and I think as well it's probably a bit easier to get you know interesting guests in and get different points of view on the show which is what we're hoping to do and not just I don't think from obviously the, the view is we want to get a rugby view from people but um, and that's going to be the primary focus but I think we might have be able to get a broader kind of spectrum of people maybe some rugby supporters and different things like that so I'm really excited about where we can take the show it's going to be a big test of your pulling power Luke. you know you're <laughs> going to be the man who's going to be needing, you're going to be working the phones uh, pulling power in a strictly platonic way of course getting yeah. the big names in and well, you've actually started off with a bang to be fair I listen I'm, I'm really excited that we were able to get it started off with a bang I think obviously the first show you want to be able to you know get people's interest and hopefully I think with, with Sean O'Brien coming in uh, as our first guest uh, hard to hard to beat. He's you know obviously very engaging, well able to articulate his points, and I'm sure he'll have some um, you know interesting points of view as to what went on in the summer um, d- down in, in New Zealand, which is obviously you know that got a, a huge amount of interest up here, and everyone's really interested to see uh, what. Well, I'm really interested to see what he thought of the tour, especially from an insider's perspective. Yeah, he's actually arriving in right now. But there's one announcement I want to make to our listeners for full disclosure. It's actually Luke Fitzgerald's birthday today, a big milestone. Uh, <laughs> he's turning forty today, believe it or not. Uh, Feels like forty, definitely will. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, a big a sad, it's, a, it's a sad day for the parish, as they say. So, um, yeah, feeling very old today. Yeah, if anyone wants to go to Crystal later, Luke will get you on the guest list. He's having a big birthday bash with all the socialites. Well, that's the thing about this age; you don't get put on the guest list anymore. That that whole year, that's that's passed me by, Will. So, uh, literally, the only people that will come to my birthday party are my family and my girlfriend. So, it's uh, yeah, my pulling power for that is gone, and I, I literally won't get on any list. Um, so your your podcast co-host, I'm sure, will you go would, as well. Had, had I been invited, I'm sure <laughs> you would have had to have come. It would have been a genuine. You know what I mean? We're obviously working together uh, pretty closely, so I think that wouldn't have been even been a genuine 
acceptance of an invite. You know what I mean? Mm. I think that's that's probably why you didn't get it so far. And I, but look, no one else did anyway. You're not missing out. And I promise you, if there's a party, you would have been invited. Well, birthday dinners aside, we're actually joined in studio now by Sean O'Brien. Delighted to have him in after, you know, what an amazing Lions tour. And probably your first big media exposure, late, late aside, obviously, but I don't know if it really counts. First big media exposure in a sporting context since that great Lions tour. I have one burning question, Luke, that's actually been plaguing me all summer. I think it was probably the big talking point for me from the Lions tour. Sean O'Brien, James Haskell, one of the most unlikely friendships blossoming I think I've ever I've ever heard. Yeah, that used to be my slot, wasn't it, Sean? <laughs> <laughs> Not sure about that. <laughs> you were never that much crack. Ah, <laughs> uh, fair point, in fairness. Um, yeah, look, man, it looked like like you had a lot of fun with him, though. Yeah, it was um, good. And that's one of the great things about like that was my experience as well on Lions Tour. There's loads. Who of was guys. your James Haskell? Who was your unlikely friend? Uh, I actually Andy Pell was. Who actually <laughs> I still I still get a text from Andy uh, every now and then looking for tickets for something. And I said, listen, I'm, I'm retired, mate. I'm actually zero used to it. But he was a guy who probably took up probably your mantle actually. But he kind of kept the squad crack going. He was a bit of like he he didn't take himself too seriously. And actually, guys like that are really important. I'm sure you'll know. Sure, you're on tour for seven eight weeks together. You know. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a long time to go without with being so serious all the time mm. so there is an element of making sure that you're creating a, a fun environment and uh, and as well being as relaxed as possible there is times you now on, on the tour where you would have pulled some of the younger lads aside you know that nearly cost you a match or t- even a test game and and you said look you can't really act like that but um you know everyone was in good spirits i, I think i know the young lads he's thinking of i won't put him on the spot anyway <laughs> for the moment um <laughs> Yeah, because this tour was a bit unique. I know you went to Australia with the Lions, you went to South Africa, but the, the media coverage from New Zealand at times in this one was was in, was out, was ridiculous. Some of the stuff that was being written and, and the like the, the clown, you know, caricatures. Yeah. So obviously it's even more important then when you get back in the squad to kind of, I don't know, keep your spirits up and have a bit of crack. Yeah, I think that whole episode as well, you know, with Gats being from, or yeah. Gats being a Kiwi, you know, they're always going to have a cut off them. And they're probably, a lot of coaches over there rate them very highly. And then there's a lot of coaches that probably don't. And um, the media kind of have a shared view on them as well. But um, we we heard a lot of that, you know, on the outskirts of, of our environment and obviously seeing pictures and whatnot, you know, which bit harsh in fairness but um, yeah it is important then that he makes light of it and the rest of the squad don't kind of feed into it and we make light of it then too you know Was it something that was mentioned like I, I, I like there was kind of it wasn't as aggressive in South Africa but there was kind of a few things where there was kind of fairly heated media coverage especially actually around Scott Berger around, Yeah around yeah. that that incident there was and, and I thought it was actually interesting that like on that tour because we just lost the series they kind of used that a little bit to just yeah, I think to to take a bit of heat off, and now it was a shocking referee decision to to well to say that like yeah, yeah we, well the, the linesman said to him like I was there for it. They said, listen, it's definitely a gouge, and he decides to give a yellow card. So look, I can see but, why they bought we're... into that and try to maybe offload some of the heat from actually having lost a test series. And they, you know they kind of said, look, this decision kind of cost us it. But did, was there any of that there? Was there any kind of like, or did they try and use that to fuel the, the lads to get fired up for a game or anything like no, that? No, I don't really think so either. I, I, I'm not sure. Like, I didn't, I didn't get that sense. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, and didn't get it from the rest of the lads either. But I don't know. Like, it's, it's. They didn't have a, a Michael Checker where we had honestly we'd one of our own uh, one of the Indo guys, Neil Frano, Francis' article about the the Lady Boys was up in our changing room. All year in 2009, <laughs> we use that as fuel but for the fire. It's funny, the joke I made about the New Zealand guys over the summer is like, we have one Neil Francis, they have about 20, like, you know, they have about 20 guys in the media who come out with these out. Like, when the Blues beat the Lions in the second game, one of the intros was like, 
the Blues spear tackled the Lions just like Tanu Maga spear tackled Brian O'Driscoll in 2005. And I actually had to do a double take. I was like, how did someone actually write that intro? Well, I think as well, when you're going down, you probably have to understand that, like, everyone's playing rugby down there. If you look at someone, say, like, the football coverage, or sorry, soccer coverage in in England, where, like, everyone's playing and everyone supports a team, it's kind of similar down there. And you probably get off the back of that, you probably get a more aggressive side to it. Now, obviously, I've, I've actually only toured there. I was there for a week and I actually didn't play. Injured, would you believe? Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I think off the back of that, you probably get a bit more of that aggressive element because it's so popular down there. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, you look at kids and some of the training sessions we've done with some of the younger kids, they love contact. like, mm. And they're, they're firing themselves into everything. And that's what it's all about down, down there. Because as Lukey said, it's, it's, that's all they have. They have rugby over there. That's what they live and breed. And the same, you ask a 12-year-old to step, he'll step as good as any senior fo- senior rugby player in, in, in the country here. You know what I mean? So they're at, they're at a different level from a younger age, I think. And that was a big eye-opener for me because, obviously, we have the, the guy here and everything else and, mm. you know, the pick is smaller and whatnot. But the, they do... They're definitely a more aggressive animal over there from a younger yeah. age. And it, 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 it shows in games. And that's where, at times... I suppose other teams are trying to bring themselves to that level where where they're at their best, but the All Blacks are there every day, every time they go out. They're at that they're they're at that level. Yeah, and to that point, like I think what showed the overall standard of rugby in the country was that New Zealand Barbarians game where it was a really ragtag bunch of guys. And I know the Lions didn't play very well on the day, but the, Barbar- like, the Barbarians did play like they they really yeah. played above themselves, though. No, I kind of think that one was a bit like, and, and I said it quite a bit like when you get a team coming together, regardless of how good, that's like, fun. Asleep. I was yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Literally asleep on the Fresh, bus. really? Yeah, yeah, there was lads do- uh, dozing off, they couldn't stay awake, the jet lag was so bad. <laughs> yeah, I think Far- Annie Farrell said he, he had woken up like three o'clock in the morning of the game and just didn't, couldn't go back to sleep, so just like stayed up pretty much the whole day. Like, Yeah, well, I kind of, it was one of those kind of ragtag ones. You probably need to get, it's good to get, <laughs> to a certain extent, you need to get guys, you know, off the mark quickly, um, yeah. but that was just too quick, you know, and yeah. they probably had, that was the only fixture where I, I actually felt that the, the, the tour schedule, while it was really heavy, it was really good for lads, you know. And I thought yeah, some guys really yeah. flourished in that. I thought guys like, like, like I thought Johnny Sext, like the more games he played, the better he got. And he probably has had a period where he was struggling a bit with injuries, um, you know. And I think actually off the back of having to play more games, he got really match fit. And I thought you know, it brought out the best mm-hmm. in him. And I, I thought yourself as well yeah, was yeah, another no, guy I'd, who I'd fell agree, into that I'd category. Agree because the more the more games you get, the better mm-hmm. you get. And sometimes the training loads as well on tours like that is quite light. But then you're you're fresh coming to a game. Mm. Now I do think around the test games, I don't think we got it completely right in terms of. I think the coaches might have panicked the first week and done a little bit too much with us on a Thursday, um, before the first test, and the same leading into the last test. But um, you, you know, trained a lot going into the last yeah, test. Yeah, we trained a lot. There we was a lot of reports no, of the we, lads taking it easy, but no. No, we we had a couple of days off, but we didn't do enough at the start of the week, and then we were chasing really? our tails a little bit. Jeez, that's really interesting nowadays because like they're so focused on mm. front loading the week. Yeah. The Tuesday especially, and yeah. you know the Thursdays are usually heavy enough sessions as well. But there's usually a taper even towards the end of that there session, is, especially yeah. for guys without a heavy there load. Is, but you no, know? it it, it the, the dynamic of it wasn't that way over there, and mm. um, we had Sunday, Monday, Tuesday off. We trained Wednesday heavily, and then Thursday captains run or trained Thursday again. You know, good good pitch session, and then captains run was Friday. But lads were playing catch up then on on info, and and you know mm. legs were heavy. Come the you, last one, did again. that event to do it? Maybe say, do you know the way with alliance where you have guys coming in from the cold? Maybe who didn't like? Do you know the way like say like an Ian Henderson comes in for you know you guys like that who are they're trying to bring up the speed? Did that play any part? in Maybe having to 
do more sessions or was it just the scheduling just saying oh look we had to we're yeah, gonna take I, a few days off I think days it was off. just the schedule I don't yeah. I just don't think they got the right days off <laughs> oh really <laughs> if I if, if if looking back now we probably should have Sunday Monday off done mm. a good session on Tuesday a tough session mm. and then have Wednesday off again yeah. train Thursday nice. captain's run and then you're, you're fresh and ready to rock for a test game um, the first, the first week leading into the first test, the Thursday, there was a triple, triple day for the forwards. Like we had, we had units for. That's good for you, lads. Though you like that, don't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're absolutely killing each other for thirty-five minutes. You're not working that hard in the game no. either. <laughs> no, we're not doing that much work. And then we had a weight session, a leg session in the gym, yeah. and then we had a p- another pitch then in the afternoon. And it's not who's that on? Is that on Warburton? Maybe to go up to Gatland? Like they have a good relationship. Well, I said ah. it after that game. Yeah. I, I went to them and said we can't. This can't happen for the rest of the tour. But it happened in the third lads week. Were, lads were completely flogged, like. And it happened again in the third test. Well, yeah. Well, I don't think it happened as bad in the third set. I just think we were catching up on a lot of info and our legs. From Wednesday to the game, we were on our feet, where it should have been Tuesday, Wednesday off. Friday, was that it's maybe Gat was under a lot of pressure well they say there's different is, views is as well there's different thinking like, and that's one of the most Like, I'll touch on that in a second because I want to ask your opinion on, on that Shoney just about some of the different kind of you know philosophies and what you got from the tour maybe something that you found interesting from, yeah. from the other setups but some of that can be down to different philosophies you know like you look at I, th- I just think it's one thing that I always thought Joe Schmidt got unbelievably right consistently is that he he manages the the squad you know workload really really well and he manages to time things superbly well and I think off the back of that the Irish guys are really aware but someone like Shawnee and, and even myself would have been <coughs> exposed to those things even check it to a certain extent he got that way he got really good at that towards the end uh, of his tenure with Leinster and I think off the back of that we're quite aware of that and are, did you find the other guys were as aware of it? Yeah, I I think I think we're more aware of it, the Irish lads, um, than the other any of the rest of the lads. We they they do they double up a lot in England, mm. they double up a lot in Wales, and now yeah. I mean units and then that's probably a control units, issue as well, yeah. isn't it? Actually, I haven't yeah, thought because you, know, you go back to a club. The or if you have no control over what goes on back at the club bar, no. getting the guys at a certain time, do yeah. they? Yeah, no, that's that's exactly yeah. it, but. They, I suppose, they, they're used to that and we're used to our system. We mm. try to obviously get it all done in one pitch session and then, I suppose, mentally uh, know, know our stuff um, more so than yeah. they don't put as much of an emphasis on that, I think, um, you know, in, in other countries. Well, you had Gatlin in 2013, Lions store as well. What Was was he the same kind of coach in that regard? Was he a different coach four years later? Well, he never really spoke to me in the first tour. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was no probably used to him. But, uh, yeah, this tour, in fairness, um, probably I grow, I've grown, grown up a lot too. So, you know, I had a lot of input. I feel I contributed to the group a lot more this time in terms of even my meshes and, and key points during the week and, and what we needed to do. So, um, you Did know, you feel was, like that was, was something that you needed to do after the last tour showing you a little bit? Like, is yeah, that something you didn't get a chance I to do? I just said or? I wasn't going to... I wasn't going to stay quiet on this one and, and, and sit back and maybe not give my opinion on certain things. Mm. So, And making sure, for, ex- from experience on the last tour, making sure that we're in a good place leading into these games. Because mm. you're going to New Zealand and every team during the week is trying to hurt you. The midweek games, the teams are actually trying to hurt you. So physically, you know, you have to be right there on it. And uh. mentally, obviously, you're preparing for... That's, yeah, it's, it's good to hear you say that because I, I, I wondered about that from afar after 2013. I never actually asked you about, about that tour and... Because that must have been really tough, you know, because, I mean, you would have been standout guy, 
you know, for Leinster and for Ireland for, you know, leading into that tour. Yeah. And I was really surprised that it didn't look like Shawnee really got a proper look in bar towards yeah, yeah. kind of second yeah. test and, thir- and third yeah. test against Australia. But that's good to hear. It's something that, I, by the way, for any young guys watching Shawnee, I'm not just saying this now because he's, he's the total <laughs> tank and I'm, I'm going to get a bait and if I don't. The Carlo but, Cannonball. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it's something that you should watch. And it's great to hear that you voice your opinion on the rugby side because while you see all, you know, Shawnee is a wrecking ball and, and you're great at that, but the reason I think you're so good at that, I mean, you're not that much bigger. There's some units all across world mm-hmm. rugby. Yeah. But I think Shawnee's rugby brain is something that's very underrated. You look at the timing of his runs, uh, the positions he gets himself into. You know, he really has a great appreciation for keeping width from other players who have the ball. And that creates great space for him and for other guys. So great to hear that, that you felt that, that was something that you added to the tour because I think your rugby brain is something that, you know, is it something you work on? I know you, you coach down in, 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 in Tullow as well. Yeah, it might be something I work on a whole lot, but I, I'm definitely more aware as I've gotten older that I probably have more to offer in terms of experience and, and giving key meshes and not talking waffle or, or rubbish just yeah. for the sake of it. You know, I've... I suppose you've been in teams as well, and I've been in teams where someone starts talking, and you're going, you're going in your head. It was probably me. Yeah. No, no, you're going in your head. Probably, you know, there, there's there's a time for someone to say something, and there's a time for to just say nothing, and just you can look at someone and you know they're ready. You know what I mean? Mm. But someone has tried to build themselves up, but um, it's uh, you know, so you learn as you go, you get older. But it's, it's something I definitely have in my armory now. I'd like to think that I just give clear meshes. And, and when do you, when did you think you developed that from the last line store to now? Was there? You kind of had that quite think, a bit. Yeah, I, I always remember Shawnee like he, when you, when you yeah, spoke, you always listened. Yeah. yeah, you said he was one of the big talkers in the team when we were doing a bit of analysis last season. You said that was one yeah. Of the big well, it's a it's a real key thing, especially like we have a lot of young guys in Leinster. We're just looking at that squad, going there. A lot of guys who are really good rugby players, especially around your position, yeah. Shawnee, but. That's the rugby smarts. It's something that I think you were very. You're, you're lucky that you were, I suppose, given huge responsibility. I actually think at a local level would have had a big influence. You would have had a big influence at the club, yeah. even from a young age. And there was a good confidence that you got about delivering messages. I would feel off the back of that. Yeah. Was that? Would you agree with yeah, that? Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's definitely something I've had for a long time, but it's definitely. I've, I think I've developed it a lot. Be, being a lot better at it. Um, in, in, throughout my career I think I've grown and I've, I suppose you get a bit more confidence then and you get a lot smarter as you, as you get a bit older so I think that's why it's um, proven to be effective for me Just one thing I did want to raise up you know obviously Sean had a very good tour and one thing I noticed was uh, while the, the, the team Gatlin got a lot of stick the media in New Zealand the players absolutely adore Sean I actually was reading an article earlier where a New Zealand Herald guy this was from back in the tour said he was as good as Richie McCaw and if you ever hear the All Blacks being mentioned, no, I don't know if this is because they only know a couple of Irish players. But <laughs> they Kine, do, by the way. Jerome Kaino is, yeah, I think that's the channel of Ryan might be the only no, name no, he no. knows. Yeah. No, well, look, I think that's, well, I mean, and it goes back to as well, not just being the wrecking ball, you know, and, and one thing about Richie McCaw is, he's a funny kind of guy, like, I mean, you know, he, he'd be able to, he always impacted the game in some way, and I thought that was because of, of the rugby smarts, and I always feel that about Shawnee as well. You might go through a game where maybe Shawnee has one or two bullock and runs, but he's going to get you three or four turnovers in there as well. And that's because he's able to pick the positions he's going to be in. Uh, and obviously you have that, that toughness as well. And it's, it's a rugby smart thing. And I'd say, you know, down in New Zealand, they recognise that. You know, that'll be something I always think. You look at, like, I mean, any of the New Zealand guys you talk to, you know, they see they're always kind of understated guys. They're kind of chilled out or whatever. You, know, you get a few different types of character, but it's quite rare you get a New Zealander who do kind of talks a lot you know but when you get them talking about rugby and we saw it a bit with Hayden Tra- Hayden Triggs last year he'd be a guy who you know he would have been probably not as loud in, in a dressing room scenario as like as some of the Irish guys 
But when you actually asked him about the rugby stuff on the couch, Shawnee, yeah, you probably got a bit of, yeah. a, a, but from a backs perspective, I was really impressed about it. Even he was able to give us some interesting insights into kind of back three play and how the, the, the New Zealand boys kind of think a bit differently on that. And, and it was really interesting. I'd say it's something that they probably can appreciate in someone like Shawnee is that he's a he's a smart rugby player. You know, he was in a good position even for that that magical try. I mean, I was surprised. I mean, his head was stuck in, <laughs> in his chin. <laughs> uh, he definitely like looked like he'd been over three years ago. So. <laughs> Well, this show is about you, it's not about me. Um, Look, his arms are cramping up. He was in a fitness session. I, I was not. He's definitely uh, not an endurance athlete. Not an endurance athlete. But uh, listen, it, I think they can appreciate that Shawnee's a smart rugby player as well as obviously a physical specimen. And, and that was probably the reason why there was a bit of a love affair there, Shawnee. Did you feel the love over there? I don't know. We're talking about the media stuff now. <laughs> um, no, I suppose, you know, you know it is nice to... To I suppose get recognition of of you know in 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 I suppose every rugby player wants to be recognised as one of the you know um, top players. So from get getting it from some of the top players in the world is obviously a nice thing to get. But you just I go about my business the same way every day. So it's 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 not going to change for me. But um, yeah, there was a bit of fuss created over there with about a few of us. But you know that's just the way it is. It did feel though that you got close to your absolute best on. Maybe first, second, third test, the perfect time. Did you feel that yourself? Yeah, I did. I felt I felt I was really fit, you see, going over. And I had a kind of a five-week block where I had a little tear in my calf um, that I just said, right, you know, take this opportunity now to just get yourself as fit as possible. And, you know, I minded myself really well. And, yeah, I hit the ground running. Like, even from week, even I didn't, I didn't play for two weeks when I got over there, but I was fit to play. And mm. I kind of felt like that... You know, once I get playing here now, I'm going to be flying, you know. Yeah, what do you remember about that Crusaders game? Because, like, the first two games hadn't gone very well. He had saved some of the bigger marquee names for that Crusaders game. There was a lot of pressure, and you put in a really good performance. But before the game, was there a bit of edge in the camp? Was there a bit of nervousness, or how did you feel? Because if you had yeah. lost that, it could have maybe unraveled a small bit. Yeah, it was a bit... Um, there was a little bit of an edge. There was a, there was a good energy, though, around the place because there was, a, there was a lot of lads that hadn't played for a while. And they, you know, we we all brought a, a lot of energy to it that week. But the biggest thing for in that game was our physicality. So we we did definitely wanted to set a marker down to the rest of uh, New Zealand as such. To we're not going to be bullied, and we have you know a pack to do a job, and we backs to to finish off um, you know opportunities. We didn't get that many that day. We probably squandered a few, but you know it was just a real tough physical game that day. And in terms of just to, to, I know we don't we don't want to spend the whole uh, show on the Lions, yeah. um, but it's just so interesting, isn't I know, it? Really, get, yeah. There is the last thing I, I want to just ask you about, and it was something um, that I was I kind of touched on earlier on was on, on the philosophy side. Was there anything that you that you learned from the different coaches? I know there was a, a fairly similar coaching staff this time around, but did they have any new ideas that you felt they developed since say Australia that you were like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder, can I take that back into Leinster? Can I take that back into an Ireland setup? Was there anything that kind of caught your, your mind um, or caught your eye? There's probably a few things. I think Steve Bartwick is a very smart coach. Um, mm. So from a lineup perspective and mall per, perspective, um, that was pretty good to see his ideas. You know, because in fairness to England over the over the past couple of seasons, they've been very effective in that area. Um, Anything so, technical? Yeah, uh, a big thing for me was the time. I remember Gatlin talking about time. We'd never kind of come across it, but he actually had a target for ball and play. Yeah. Uh, and he felt that once we got the ball and play by this kind of threshold, 
that the team would be successful. And obviously that was something that kind of came from Wales. You could see it with the yeah. same way stuff and them not kicking the ball out. But was there anything like that, any kind of specific yeah, that, thing? that was still there actually from Gat's yeah. point of view. Yeah, the ball and play was, was a big one. With Steve, it was about, uh, you know, execution and, and tempo in, in, in our lineups, not going in and taking 15 seconds to go. Once we're in, we're gone and we just wanted to move quickly, you know. And it's the same in when we're going to Mall. So if we're going off the top, it'll be very fast. Same mm. if we're going to Mall, get set up really quickly and let's go. And just uh, everything was about attack. Interesting. And was it kind of like, is in terms of the tempo thing, last question on it, sorry, this is something that probably only interests me, none of the listeners, but in terms of the tempo thing, did he feel like it really helped the thrower with a rhythm thing where he was able to have a continuous kind of, you know, it's kind of like yeah. that in a lot of different sports where you're kind of relying on rhythm for, for different things when you're trying to execute a fairly difficult skill. You always hear golfers talking about it, yeah. you know, it's tr just trying to keep the same rhythm all the time. Is it something like that? that, that yeah, did you feel it was a big it, benefit there? Definitely, I suppose, going in and not having pressure in the air for a hooker is is very effective, obviously, yeah, for ourselves. Yeah, yeah. So if we can get in and go quickly before they have a chance to move, we're, we're away. And it's probably something um, on the opposite side of it when you analyse the All Blacks uh, line is to do very effectively. You know, mm. you have to be set before them, or if you're not set before them, they're gone. And there's no there's no real movement. It just back themselves to go quickly onto, onto someone and away, and they're moving the ball. Mm. So that's probably a big thing that I've t taken away from it. Um you know, and their defence, obviously, with Andy as well, was 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 right up there. Yeah, yeah. who would you tell me a bit about Andy Farrell? Uh, I know you didn't get to play under him, but how would you compare him to maybe some of the other guys you've had in your career, like Kurt McQuilk and Les Case? What's his kind of philosophy? Because whenever you see him in those kind of lines montages, he seems to uh, reminds me a bit of Sean Edwards, you know, that kind of rugby league I mentality. I got two days with the guy, and I was, like, I didn't even get to play under him, but he just, he's such an impressive guy. Like, he's a big specimen anyway, yeah. but he delivers, he, like, the way he delivers key messages... And the way he can kind of even get support for the ideas, which is kind of the big mm -hmm. thing with defence anyway. I yeah, mean, there's lots of different ideas that work very well for different people, but buy-in from the player group is kind of big, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, he's he is. He's a, he's an incredible motivator. Um, and again, as Lukey said, his meshes are, are crystal clear. And he demands a standard off you that, you know, you don't really want to let him down. Um, and if you do, you're not going to be in the team, you know. So... Um, He's an incredible coach. His his analysis of opposition as well is very very good. You know what they're bringing in attack and how smart we can be with our D. So um, you know I won't go into the the tricks of the trade. <laughs> but he's a uh, he's he's an incredible coach. And he's one to watch as well because he he's working uh, you know very very closely with who I would feel is probably the best in the world is, is Joe Schmidt. And you look at lots of guys who've worked close with him. They always come out a little bit better. Uh, I always think, and some of the even if you don't take all of the philosophy, like he's very cutting edge in some of his ideas, and he's very like I, I just think he'd be a great guy to be mm. close to be to in a coaching respect. Yeah, you think he'll learn a lot from Joe? I think I think he'll only get better and better, and I think some of Joe's I think ideas. Everyone learns a lot from Joe. Oh yeah, yeah, and I, I think you'll see lots of players who played under Joe actually end up either you know talking about rugby, Felix or, Jones. Or exactly, or coaching at a, at a very high level, um, and lots of guys. You hear Raj talking about him glowingly uh, in the summer, and Raj has been around some pretty decent coaches. I mean, the two guys at, at Racing were, you know, they'd won a, um, a top fourteen. Les De Laurent. Yeah, they had won a, a top fourteen, but he seemed to be incredibly impressed with Joe. And I'd say we'll see lots of guys uh, really improve from close contact with him. Yeah, how would you sum up Joe Schmidt as a coach? Luke's told me some good stories about his meticulous attention to detail. <laughs> Remember, this is the area that Shawnee actually can't talk about. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> no, 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 but I think it's very, no, like, yeah, Joe, of course you can, I'm only Joe, messing, Joe yeah. is, um, Joe is an incredible coach, he's, he's definitely the best coach I've ever worked under, mm. um, you know, in fairness to, to Czechs, 
um, he probably instilled a lot of um, attributes, you know, that I have now in me in terms of giving me a hard time and stuff <laughs> when I was a young fella. But, you know, it done me no harm. But, um, yeah, he probably brought out... Chex was more of a fiery type of coach where Joe was obviously precision and, and accuracy and stuff. So, um, But I've learned so much from Joe. Um, and not just about rugby, about, you know, looking after yourself outside of rugby yeah, and... Yeah. You know, making really sure you're ticking edge. all the boxes. So yeah, he, you alluded to Michael Checker. You both had him as your first professional coach. Was was he a good guy? Oh, I, to have I, as, in that grounding. <laughs> I absolutely love Checker. You know, obviously, you know, he was fairly tough with with that. And I think it was interesting enough. I was talking about this current Leinster player group uh, with the guy who's uh, actually close enough to the group, if not in the group. I'm not going to say any names, but we were talking about the different kind of groups. And myself and Shawnee, I was talking about our group as opposed to this new crop coming up and the potential that it has. And I was talking about our own one where I was saying, Jesus, like, I think someone like Czech is, you know, impact on that group is slightly kind of underrated. You look at how many guys ended up being world-class. We've got Sean O'Brien on two Lions tours, Johnny Sexton, who's world-class as well. Keen Healy, who I think is a guy who's coming back into a bit of form, by the way, but he's, you know, he's been on a Lions tour. He's a guy who I think was probably the number one uh, loose head in the world for two or three years. Definitely. Brought the Jamie, Heaslip. Jamie Heaslip. All these kind of guys who were exposed to, to, to Cheka, I felt we were really lucky. And I think as well, if you look at Leinster as, as uh, you know, sorry, to, to, I'll, go, I'll cover what I think about the, the current group at the moment and where I think they need to get to. But we kind of had the perfect storm in Leinster, you know. Mm -hmm. I think having Cheka and the values that he had and the values that he instilled in the organisation and, and his ability to get stuff done behind the, the, the scenes. Like you talk about him, apparently he was an absolute terror behind the scenes. <laughs> but just he wanted to get the best for the group and get the group moving to a good place. And then you have Joe Schmidt coming in after and the different attributes that he have. Having those two, the, the, the timing of those two together was incredibly lucky. But also I think as well, you have to give a huge amount of credit to the likes of Mick Dawson and some of the senior player group who were able to spot that you know how good these guys were and yeah, whoever picked Joe Schmidt because I, I remember when he was announced as Czech's successor no one really knew much about him they knew Claremont were a great team but well we had got absolutely caught apart by them in the in the Heineken Cup as it was then uh, they just had missed I think Brock James had missed about five oh, or the six the hat trick game, yeah, yeah. oh but we got carved apart by them you know and we had a really you know bit of a Rolls Royce of a back line exactly. and a brilliant back, back row as well so we were able to shut most teams down in the competition that year but they chopped us up really badly. Uh, and I remember thinking at the time, whoever is coaching those guys, they were so crisp. They barely let a pass drop. You know, the passing was, the quality was incredible. And now it's funny, off the back of it, you kind of see the coaching behind the scenes saying, oh, that was pretty much all yeah. Joe. You know I mean? <laughs> they, they, played, they played to perfection like them. They just didn't get any kicks on the day, you know? Yeah, I, I know we've been going on coaches for a while, but obviously you, Stuart Lancaster is in the Lancer setup now, you know, it's funny if you told us two years ago that like Andy Farrell and Lancaster would be like almost running Irish rugby, you would have been like, "What year? What, what year is this?" Like, uh, how have you found uh, Stuart Lancaster to deal with? Because uh, Luke's mentioned a couple of times that the training sessions are done at a very rapid pace, and that's why Leinster are kind of so good at moving the ball. Yeah, yeah. Um, I suppose he's brought a different different dynamic to the whole setup since he came in, and he's probably eased a lot of pressure on on Gervin and Leo as well. You know, um, who are young coaches as such. So with Stuart's experience. Um, you know, to complement each other, lovely. But yeah, in terms of his training sessions, they are they're, they're high intensity and and they're fast. And um, you know, he had a nice blow on during them anyway, that's for sure. <laughs> but um, yeah, he's brought he's added a lot of value to the club since he arrived. And um, you know, definitely our skill level and and the way we're moving the ball has has improved an awful lot. And just from what you've said today, in terms of you know how your leadership has grown over the last few years and all the great coaches you played under, it sounds like 
coaching could possibly be in your future with all those attributes is it something you've thought about or is it something you'd like to do properly yeah it's something I've thought about but um, well you're not being a celebrity farmer Shawnee <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> why do I think I don't do any work on the farm <laughs> in fairness is a release more so than <laughs> but, um, no I, I'm, I, I've been involved probably in coaching now since I was since I probably started in the Leinster Academy in with, with Tolo at some former um of level so um it, it's something i do enjoy but uh, when, you know when you're playing professional rugby for 10 or 12 13 years whatever you'll, you'll be um you might just be sick of it at the end of it you know you might want to get away from from that side of things but having said that um you know i'd i'd i do see myself coaching uh, in some aspect down the line but i'm not sure what level I'm, I'm i think it might just be junior level or maybe an ail club but i don't i i don't know if i have the the attributes to go further than that he does he absolutely <laughs> does I, he's talking crap there uh, no he does honestly uh, look if he wants that I reckon um, his ability to galvanise guys as well he has great ideas in the game he's probably selling himself underselling himself there I suppose the, the key thing for you is whether you want to do it Johnny I yeah. think isn't it and I think yeah. the thing is you have the pedigree as well which is always nice they're looking for guys with a big name to come in the, I mean there's obviously added pressure when you do that I think I think they're putting a lot of pressure on these young coaches though by giving them these big jobs so soon I, I think that Ron O'Gara has maybe the right idea of serving an apprenticeship as an assistant well, I don't know what you think I, of I it. would say while I was giving a lot of a huge amount of credit to, to Leinster behind you know for, for you know the the uh, appointing Cheka and appointing Schmidt in, in close succession and seeing the different values and how they would be able to bring the place to a new level. I would say the timing and how they treated someone like Matt O'Connor probably was is an area where I felt that they didn't do themselves a huge amount of favours uh, and I thought they probably put themselves in a position where they wanted someone like Leo involved they know he's got a great brain for rugby they know he can galvanise a team because he's been a brilliant captain for a long time but they got the timing of that wrong and off the back of it they had to put Leo in a position where he was forced into a position where you probably wouldn't want to, to, to go into as early as he did and I think it's a huge testament to him that he's been able to keep going in that in that role and he's been relatively successful I think we obviously need, the thing at Leinster now is we need to get over the line and we need to get a win soon and especially with this group if we want to kick on and, and, and be uh, I'm sorry I'm speaking as a we here as a Leinster <laughs> supporter I probably should try and be uh, a, a little bit less biased but I think if, if Leinster want to kick on and, and get a few of these guys who I'm talking about this group is very you know there's potential to be very very special they've access to some great coaches I think Stuart Lancaster has you know he's got some guys there if he can instill some of his values some of those guys who go on to be similar to the group that I just came from where you know, kind of world-class players. You talk about your Dan Levy's, your 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 Jack Conan's, your Joey Carberry's. This Missing a lot of back rows there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, look, yeah. you got to look. These are yeah. important for for in succession plan. These guys are going to be the future once guys like Shawnee and, and and Jamie kind of move on to to wherever they move on to. You know, yeah, that's a nat that's a natural yeah. that's a nat natural process. Mm. I think in rugby, you know. Um, it's like uh, me coming in and the last few years with likes of Shane Jennings, for instance, and Jenna was probably one of the best Leinster players ever, and so consistent week in week out. But there is a time that comes then where you're kind of in and out, and that'll that'll happen. I know that's going to happen in the next couple of years, but um, you know I'll keep uh, oh, away keep, in the meantime. I, I tell, keep the, keep the, the head lads. down, lads, in those <laughs> Thursday sessions. <laughs> um, well, look, I think it's a great point, and I th like it's it's really exciting to see if this group can kick on to the to the next level. And I think they've got all the tools there. Uh, and in to touch on kind of I suppose the Leo thing, 
I think the idea was that, that Leo would do something like Raj, where he'd get time to bed in, bed his ideas down, get comfortable with leading a group from a different perspective. But he was thrown into there, and I think off the back, it's a huge testament and a credit to him that he's been able to kind of stick through. What I've been, it has been, there's been a bit of transition in Leinster now, hasn't there, Shawnee? Yeah, there probably has, like, but, uh, you know, I, I, going back to Leo, like, what he's done in the last two seasons for Leinster has been massive. Yeah. And uh, all the attributes you had as a player have definitely been used in in the coaching capacity. And how smart he is as a player as well. He he thinks about the game, um, you know, he's a very knowledgeable man on, on, on the game of rugby, so... He's uh, he's added so much, and as I've said, they're young coaches, so they're only going to get better. Yeah. What I'd like about Leo, is especially, was that he didn't show a huge ego when Lancaster came in. He wasn't like, oh, I'm the head coach. You know, it was managed very, very well, I thought. Because remember, originally it was like Lancaster's a senior coach, and it's like, what does that mean? But they seem to have gotten the balance right. Well, look, uh, you know, the first things first about Leo and, and knowing the guy very well. He's very bright, you know, he had his head shoved up people's ass for 10 years in the second <laughs> row, but he's actually a very bright fella. Didn't know where that was going. <laughs> but no, look, aside from that, he's a really bright guy. He's well able to understand that this is, a, you know, he's chosen this as a career now, and he's still in the in the development phase. And someone like Stuart Lancaster is a guy who's had massive experience at the top level. And Leo, you know, being exposed to someone like Joe Schmidt and Stuart Lancaster is only going to further his career. Uh, so I think, you know, he's smart enough to recognise that. And Gerber is as well. And it's very exciting. I'm excited to see guys like even John Foggs, of course, is, is, is you know, in there coaching the scrum. And uh, really excited to see where all these guys go in the future and how far they can take this career. Just moving back to, to yourself now, Sean, what's the kind of return to play timeline for you now after the Lions tour? Yeah, probably another two to three weeks. I'd say Edinburgh will probably be the game uh that's the majority of the Lions boys uh, once we've ticked all the boxes and coaches are happy for us uh, to be integrated back in yeah yeah is there a worry that obviously after such a taxing physical tour that you know obviously there's a balance you want to get your break get your rest so you can hit the ground running but also there's so many good back rows at Lancer that you're probably <laughs> itching to get back like first chance you can yeah, there's, there's, I suppose there's two ways to think about it. There's that, there's that way of you want to try and get back in before the lads are playing very well or, <laughs> or you can't get back in. And there's the other way of making sure you're fit and, yeah. and ready to rock when you get back in the way you can get in there and stay there. Um, so that's the, that's the bigger thing for me in my head, making sure I'm as fit as possible. Uh, no silly niggles or anything going back in and, and um, you know, just... just Keep the shoulder to the wheel then. <laughs> and here, how like how are you feeling at the moment? Feeling good? Feeling ready yeah, to feeling go? Feeling good, yeah. Feeling actually very, very fast and, and, and strong again. Um, quickly, I came back in to pre-season in, in very good shape. So um, just just knock a bit of uh, body fat off now in these pitch sessions over the next few weeks and that's it, you know. Yeah, because you know you were playing so well on the line, so you probably wish the season could almost start then and there because you were in such a good form. Yeah, well, yeah. I was to be honest though, I was tired after the line, so I didn't realise how tired I was till we had stopped nearly. And when you when you lie down on the couch for a couple of days, <laughs> you know there's there's bits and pieces starting to get stiff again. But uh, you know you soon get moving again. So I, I had a holiday. I went away for the first week, and then I trained the second week of my holidays every day. Um, and then I went away again for the third week, and then we were back in. So it went by very quickly. But uh, you know I was yeah happy enough now. And, and and if we haven't really covered this, but I suppose it's been it's been a tough couple of years, hasn't it? Uh, for you, I know you you're you're not you wouldn't be very vocal like most rugby players about that. But I mean. Obviously, I mean, I'm sure it was a massive boost for you uh, to get through such an arduous uh, kind of Lions series, you know, such a tough one on the body. 
it must give you huge confidence going into the season because I assume that's a big goal for you. And it's interesting to hear you talking about coming into a preseason without having many niggles so you could really put, get yourself in great shape and hopefully get through a season. I know myself, obviously, having that experience, it's, it, it becomes a big thing when you've had a few seasons where you get, you know, got a, a few bad breaks, you know, a few muscle niggles, a few mm-hmm. bad shots on you. It becomes a real priority, you know, and it must, I presume you got huge confidence from the tour. Yeah, no, I did definitely because I play, I played more games last year than I played in the previous two seasons. Um, and that's down to probably a lot of things, obviously looking after myself as best as possible, but, but taking the time to get yourself back fully right and fit. And again, it's probably another learning that, you know, Luke, you'll know as well, where, Sometimes you're, you you think you're right, or you feel okay, but you're kind of nearly there. But you'll, you'll go back and play, and next minute, you know, you, you could be back to square one or something else mm-hmm. will go. Mm-hmm. Where now, I realise with my body, I need to be fully 100% fit or as close to it as possible to give myself the best opportunity of playing every single week. Because that's the most important thing to me, making sure I'm available to my teammates and management and everyone else to, to put my best foot forward so is that something you were able to learn you know waiting <laughs> never <laughs> is that why you're sitting uh, here no look i actually got look I, I got a few bad like it was a bad knock that finished me off in the end you know and there's you know you can you can't really account for the, the type of injury i got at the end but i got an awful lot better off the back of coming across some very good people and you see johnny sexton now is he, he's a guy as well who's come across you know at the end of king out, out in santry and he kind of changed my whole thinking on I had had a few niggles where I just couldn't get rid of and I, to be honest with you I never had this really in my career where I had soft tissue kind of trouble um, just whatever way my body type is I'd be really flexible especially my kind of lower body so I was kind of lucky in that regard but then I went through a period where I just couldn't figure it out uh, and it took me it was, the, it was the toughest thing I ever went through was trying to figure out how to get my, my myself back on the pitch and you'll have some experience of this as well Sean. you just go through a bad phase where something in your body just you just can't figure it out or you get a bit unlucky with something and it just keeps you know you just can't get back on the pitch and I have to say it took a huge amount of just sitting down and thinking about it and then also getting access to the best guys and the, and the right people at the right time um, to get yourself back on the pitch consistently. I was able to do that towards the end of my career, bar you know, a couple of bad knocks here and there that you, you can't really account for. So uh, that was my thinking on was that you actually have to spend a bit of time on yourself. You have to sit down in a quiet place and you have to get the time right with, with, with going to see the right people. And you have to be proactive in seeing the right people yourself, I think. That's also something that yeah. a lot of young guys will have to learn the hard way, unfortunately, is that you don't get to see or you're not forceful enough about you know a little niggle or something that you feel and it ends up turning into a big problem you're just not proactive about it and, and that's a tough thing for young professionals in not just rugby but across all sports you know just not saying something and letting it kind of run on and it ends up being a bigger problem than it ever needs to be yeah again it's, I, I think it comes back to experience you know at the start you're keen as mustard as a 19 20 year old and you know you'd be hiding if you're injured nearly but as you get on your career, you realise you're not doing yourself any favours, you're not doing the team any favours either. I mean, you start a game there, next minute you're off after 10 minutes with a stupid calf, and you might have felt your calf tight during the week. Yeah. You're down a sub already, you haven't done yourself any favours, uh, you haven't done the team any favours performance-wise, and you know it's probably something you, you naturally um, cop on to pretty quickly, actually. Hmm. Well, Sean, thanks so much for your honesty and for coming in this evening, really appreciate it. Yeah, Very welcome. Kick, kicked it off with a bang with the, one of the big dogs, as I call him. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, thanks for coming in, Sean. I really enjoy listening to uh, all your thoughts on the Lions and what's going on, uh, hopefully, in the future with Ireland and Leinster. So, hopefully, you have a big part to play in all that. Very welcome, lads.
I'm delighted to be joined on the phone now by Irish Independent rugby correspondent Rory O'Connor. And Rory, you've been very well travelled, you know, this year going to New Zealand with the Lions and now over in South Africa. Maybe you could have given Lenter some travel tips because it's gone pretty <laughs> pear-shaped on their first day in Johannesburg. Yeah, I don't know about that, uh, Will. I don't know if my expertise uh, kind of covers visa issues and stuff like that. But yeah, it's been a pretty disastrous um, start to Lancer's two-game tour to, to New Zealand. Um they got to over Tambo Airport in Johannesburg and two of their, you know, I, I think two lads who were probably going to, well, certainly one would definitely start and one who's going to play a big, would, would have played a big role were turned away in East Tennessee with their captain and Jemison Gibson Park, their scrum half, who actually spoke to the media on Monday about how much he was looking forward to coming back to, New, to South Africa. He, the both players are the two lads in their squad who have kind of super rugby experience and they were only bringing 28 men uh, with them anyway, so they're down to 26 they lost Scott Barty and Devin Toner because their wives are giving birth in the next week or two, so they opted to stay at home. They're already down the experience of their lines, of, of Jamie Heaslip and, and Rob Kearney through injury. And what's left is there's still a couple of experienced players, but it's a fairly callow side uh, on the far side of the world who have uh, you know, a bit of a job on their hands. I mean, we've seen that the two South African teams probably aren't the strongest, but there's a kind of a feeling out there that they'll be stronger at home. And um, I suppose this is a serious test of how Leinster, both at a management level and at a, at a playing level, can deal with the, the adversity. Yeah, just one more question on this before we move on to this, I guess, the general rugby stuff. Uh, I know Pro 14 were kind of tasked with maybe organising the fights, and I think they're paying for, for some of it as well. Like, So who does this fall onto ultimately? Was it a, an issue Leinster maybe should have been aware of, or is it the Pro 14 who should have flagged this? Yeah, I think it's 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 a little bit everyone, and I think Leinster will probably take responsibility for themselves ultimately because um, I suppose it was their job to get their players into the country. But I have a lot of sympathy for them. They were asked to organise this trip at very short notice. It's kind of unprecedented grounds, and and this regulation um, did change. So basically, the, the the visa there was a visa waiver agreement between New Zealand and South Africa up until January of this year which ceased and, it, and and at that stage New Zealanders then had to have a visa to get into South Africa now East and the Sea and Jemison Gibson Park have been in and out of this country several times Super Rugby never needed one Greg Feek Joe Schmidt last summer um, got in and out without a visa so I think there was a, a, a presumption there made by uh, by, by Leinster and Pro 14 that that um, you know, it was basically the status quo, and I thought that 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 visa waiver made headlines in South Africa and New Zealand, but probably didn't make much of a mark on our side of the world. Obviously, you know, if they were if they had a little bit more time, they probably been, would have been a bit more thorough. Um, but I guess them and Zebra are the guinea pigs of this um, whole operation. They were the ones who were going over uh, first to find out, and. Um, Leinster are paying a pretty significant price in terms of personnel so um, I'm sure they will take responsibility for it later in the week they're still I think hoping to get some sort of um, you know maybe get them in next week I'm not sure at this stage um, like there's nothing barring them getting a visa the issue is that they didn't apply for one that was the that was the problem um, <laughs> yeah, long way to go without a visa <laughs> yeah I'm not sure oh, They've got in this morning from Paris and they're going back. Oh, yeah. On the Wednesday morning from Paris and they're going back on uh, Wednesday night. It's a pretty, uh, un- like, rugby can be unglamorous at the best of times, but that's about as unglamorous as it gets after a day probably in the kind of a holding a holding room in, in Johannesburg Airport. It definitely won't have helped as well. If you look at some of the guys' Instagram feeds, I see Noel Reed's tucked up next to the pool and, and James Tracy, I think it looks like it's 27 degrees according to their Snapchat. So, geez, you'd have to feel for the two guys. I presume they'd be stuck in the airport and 
uh, after all the preparation. And I think that's a like it's it's a really exciting part of the competition now is that you get to go down and tour these places and obviously both of those guys have experience at Africa and I obviously have a bit of experience going down there myself Rory uh, it's a cracking place to tour and I think it's a really yeah. exciting addition the thing that struck me in the build up was when Leo Cullen was talking about the trip he obviously referred to how exciting it is for the young guys to be exposed to that kind of a tour but also kept referring to the logistical nightmare of it the way the Pro 14 had to organise things and they could only bring a certain amount of players so while, Rory, I guess it, it is great for these young guys to, to go out there and test themselves against some South African players that used to play Super Rugby, P- part of the trip is kind of almost overshadowed by what's happened now today with the visa issues, but also kind of just the arduous preparation. Yeah, but it, I suppose that's what builds character, isn't it? That's what, that's what they'll hope will bring them together, that you respond to the adversity of it. And um, like that's touring... Touring is never straightforward in that way, and that's uh, Luke would know that from from his time touring. You know, you've got so many flights to catch. You're staying in, in hotels. Look, the visa issue should have been avoided, um, but it'll mean that the team will have to rejig. It means the players will be playing in different positions. It put it'll probably put, um, say, a Jordan Lamour at, at fullback, you know, uh, for yeah, uh, uh, or or something along those lines. And you just hope that, and in fairness, these players have shown before that they're well able to. To jump right in there and get the job done. So, um, I think Nassie was uh, a big loss in terms of experience and, and leadership. Um, but but you, there is enough players there you'd hope that will be able to bring them through. And I suppose yeah. it's probably better that they're playing the Kings at sea level. Um, you know, a team that was pretty ripped apart after Super Rugby. So, wouldn't I think of the two on paper they're they're the the weakest. And um, you know, even this Lancer, this Lancer squad missing all those big names still has a lot of quality in it. So, um, I, I think that's a yeah, really a good point, Rory. I, I just think you've hit the nail on the head there. Uh, I suppose the the, the part that uh, would be a little bit concerning is that it's fairly it's a fairly young squad that's going out. Uh, mm. And actually, yeah. as it turns out, the pack actually has a lot of guys like Reese Ruddock has 132 caps. Uh, you know, Keane Healy is out there. Sean Cronin has 130 caps. There's lots of experience out there, but you know, in the back line, you really bar Fergus McFadden uh, and Noel Reed probably a little bit light on, on, well. on, it is quite a callow back line I think yeah but that's what I, I think yeah, the no, onus now will really fall on guys like Luke McGrath to step up uh, Fergus McFadden has a big job now that he has left and obviously Jameson Gibson Park while he's not that experienced in a Leinster jersey he's a bit of experience playing down there so um, I think you're right I think there's a lot of really good points there. I think playing at sea level would, would, would be nice for them to start I think that would be a rude introduction and there's always going to be a bit of panic when you go to to, to uh, you know Joburg for playing, playing at altitude or sorry Bloemfontein sorry to play at altitude that's a big uh, that's a rude awakening for our young guys another big thing about the makeup of the squad I know Fardy and Toner are at home but James Ryan's been included Rory like are we expecting him to start maybe because we've been waiting to see him in a Leinster jersey for so long he had a nice little cameo in the summer uh, with Joe Schmidt's Ireland team so he seems primed to have a really good tour in particular yeah you'd hope so I mean he's coming back from an injury he um, picked up a shoulder over in Newport but he made such an impact over there in that first game of the season that it's, it's pretty exciting to see what he did, you know, what he's, what he's capable of doing. I wonder would he go with the two more experienced players to start off with, Nick Carney and, and Ross Maloney, and introduce Ryan off the bench. I'm not sure. Um, but he may be, you know, top of, it's a kind of top of the ground rugby down here, and James Ryan's a top of the ground player. So, like, he's a player I think everyone's excited to see how he gets on this year, along with, say, Jordan Larmour and Andrew Porter. He also, um, he's another he's option of, there with Reese Ruddock as well, Rory. I know he's used Reese yeah, uh, quite a few times in the row. And if he's concerned about that, 
that is an option for them. Reese is a bag of experience. He's very versatile there. And look, he's got lots of back row options there. I mean, uh, I think Jack Conan looks like he's coming into some serious form. He's still, you know, Jordy Murphy there, who, who's who been waiting in the wings for a long time. I met his dad there during the week. Uh, and Jordy is chomping at the bit. He was hoping to get in. Well, these are the chances he needs to take. It's oh, such absolutely. a stock, uh, you know, back row that like if he, does, if he comes in and does well, mm. he's back in the frame. But if he comes in and maybe doesn't hit that performance he's used to, there's like Sean O'Brien coming back. There's a host of other guys coming back. <laughs> it's fairly, you know, it's a pretty harsh environment there. And I'm sure Rory will have, uh, you know, some insight into that area as well. I mean, geez, like Lenser are just so stocked there. Too stocked. Uh, too, I actually, probably I actually too think stocked, they are too yeah. stocked. I don't, I don't see why they uh, they should all stay there. I don't know why you'd want to stay there. Well, well, that's the thing. I think they want to stay there. That is the like. Look, I completely agree. I mean, from an Irish rugby perspective, I mean, I think there's two or three guys there. Who'd probably be a shoe in in definitely a few like across pro pro fourteen, um, they would be shooing in most clubs that, uh, across the competition. It's such a strong area uh, for Leinster, but I think the, it's it's a testament to the, to the environment that they have created there that these guys still want to stay and fight it out for a position. So. Um, it's an interesting area to look at, and I suppose that's something that maybe, you know, they might, if they want to take a bit of pressure off the likes of James Ryan, they could put Reese Ruddock in there. But I'd like to see him start. I think this is a great place for a young guy uh, to, to get his start. You really could. I mean, South African teams, they're renowned for it. I don't think, they, I don't think many of them travel very well in, in the Super Rugby. Uh, I think they're pretty much renowned for that. And definitely even the international team, they are far better at home. I expect them to be a lot better than they have been traveling so far. Yeah, Rory, I'd be interested to get your opinion or, or your perspective now that you're down there. Like, are Leinster, their presence there, is it making any inroads into kind of the sports media or, or into like among the fan base there? Like, I know... There's a kind of a perception that maybe the Pro 14, the South African inclusion, hasn't really caught fire back in South Africa. What, in your experience, is, is it making any impression? Uh, it's hard to tell at this stage though, because we're in Johannesburg. There's no team from Johannesburg, you know, playing in the competition, and the media is, here is very much uh, centralised. You know, so so Johannesburg media reports on the lines and um, that sort of thing. So having a look at the, uh, you know, I had a look at the the local papers earlier. The box are playing New Zealand on Saturday um, in the in the rugby championship, so obviously that's going to hoover up a lot of, you know, a lot of column inches as well. And I'll be interested now when we get down to Port Elizabeth, and um, kind of what the, the the excitement levels or what the anticipation levels are, because you know obviously that's that's that, that they're Bloemfontein. This is their new their new competition. This is their new identity. The Pro 14 has saved professional rugby in that part of the world, and I think we'll, it, it, at the same time. Nothing gets beat bums on seats like a winning team. Um, the ticket prices are pretty cheap, as far as I can tell. Um, I know you can get into the, the, the Nelson Mandela Bay Stadium on Saturday to watch this Leinster team for as little as three euro. And the cheetahs are giving. <laughs> I was thinking about buying a few tickets myself, Rory. <laughs> <laughs> but they're trying to get people. In fairness, yeah. they're trying to get bums on seats, and, and like obviously the currency is weaker here. It's a poorer country, and and all that sort of stuff as well. So it's a whole new thing. I think there will be interest. I think there'll be curiosity on Saturday. I think I, I'm hoping there'll be a decent game in Port Elizabeth. Leinster are doing some media down there on Friday. Hopefully they'll get they'll get decent numbers out for that and, and a bit of interest. Um, even the fact there's a bit of controversy over the visa thing might just get them onto the into the papers, which is no harm, you know, just have a, a storyline to talk about. So um, it's very much watching brief. I mean, this is you know a month, just over a month ago, this is inconceivable. And now here we are. That's why it's so difficult for these two teams to adapt to the league and adapt to the style of rugby and all that sort of stuff. So, um, it's going to take time. Are you suggesting Marcus Abukla and his uh, and his media team have have messed up the uh, the visas to drum up a bit of interest, Rory? <laughs> 
I wouldn't, I wouldn't point that out there. <laughs> uh, but look, I, I think there's a lot of really good points there, and Will made a really good one. I think, you know, nothing puts bums on seats like a winning team. I do feel like we probably need to have a bit of patience up this side of the world. I know that the, the few, the inroads they've made so far into the competition haven't been that good and the impression they've left have, haven't been that good but I think this is a really exciting and I think the price is down there as well I think we might get a quite, quite a bit of support if those teams can get a little bit more competitive for, well, it's, to, for it's, supporters it's big from for here them going for their down. first home games to mm. put out some sort of challenge yeah. like you know they don't have to beat them but like they conceded like 40 50 points in every game they played pretty much so far it's very important i think for the competition i know there has to be patience and i know rory referred that in his piece on saturday in the irish independent but it's easy to say but when you have to when you're actually watching these games like i I watched three of them over the weekend i think they were very very poor quality obviously it's good to see like you know alex wooden scoring tries from Munster, you know finishing them well and leinster you know sean cronin motoring in from 50 meters i'll be that was against cardiff but like it's just you know it's hard it's hard to say you know, it's hard to have that patience when you're watching these kind of games on a regular basis. Uh, listen, I, I, I completely accept that, you know, but I do feel like this is going to be a new challenge for them. And I, I think the whole thing makes a lot of sense for me. I think the time difference is good, so we'll get to watch the games at a reasonable time in South Africa as well. Uh, there is a really big rugby support kind of supporter base in South Africa. If they can tap into that and they can get a bit of quality on board, the whole thing makes a huge amount of sense to me. I think it's a, it's a great experience for guys in the Northern Hemisphere uh, to go down there and play some rugby. It's a superb place to go and play. Uh, I think supporters as well. I mean, economically, like that's a great place to go. It's it's obviously great value. We know that from the ticket prices. Well, economically, it costs a lot of money for someone but, to fly to South But to South get Africa. down there, but I think you actually make it back on the experience to get down there. You get to, to visit a whole new place. Uh, the value for, you know, like food costs very little down there you know accommodation costs very little going to the games won't cost much either uh, like I, I think you know and from a South African perspective they get a whole new load of people coming in trying to visit their country and, and have a look around I think it's a great look, opportunity Rory are there any Leinster fans going to this game? I don't know I don't think there's many and I think that's purely down to the, the fact that there's, uh, yeah. it was such short notice you know yeah. it, it, it was an expensive trip to arrange for Leinster expensive trip to arrange for anyone trying to come down here at short notice so I, I, I'd be interested to see now when Munster come down here in April um, you know, nice part of time of the year to come 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 down to this part of the world. We'll bring a few with them. Obviously, it's in the middle of Europe, and they'll hopefully going away to France for European semi-finals and stuff like that. But I think I think when when the fixtures come out earlier and people have a lot more notice than they did this year, there's that there will be an attraction to to booking your booking a week in, in South Africa in the middle of winter. Like, of course there is. You can go and do the garden. Port Elizabeth is perfectly placed to go and do the garden move, one of the most hmm. iconic drives in the world finish up in Cape Town, do some wine tasting and then go up to Glumfontein for the second game. I mean, if Leinster fans had a bit more time and a bit more notice, they probably would have put, a, put something together, but it was just a bit, uh, bit short notice this time around. Okay, just before we let you go, Rory, I guess, what would represent kind of a successful first tour to South Africa, you know, for the league as a whole and maybe just for Leinster as well? Yeah, for the league, I think we want competitive games. We want, um, you know, we want Leinster to get a fright. Um, you know, obviously, from an Irish perspective, we don't want them to lose, but I think if, if the Kings can put it up to them and ask questions of them and, and make some of these young players and uh, take them to an uncomfortable place and see what they're made of a little bit, that'd be great. I think, you know, unfortunately, the Kings are just so thrown together. I'm not sure if they're in a position to um, to exploit it, but they do have a very clever coach. But I think, if, you know, at least if, if, if the games are tight, if Manchester are, you know, are, are you know forced to go and win a game rather than wait it out and get their bonus point at the end, that'd be great. And I think up to Bloemfontein on Friday, will be probably the bigger chance of an upset. You know, the Sheetahs should get their first um, their first win against Zebra on, 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 on this weekend. 
I, I, I was actually on the same flight as the Zebra team, and, and I think you get the impression that they're going to, you know, play a, a weakened team this week in the hope of getting the result in Port Elizabeth. I so didn't know there was a weakened Zebra team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's a fair point. But they, they um, you know, if they get a bounce from that, then Lancer come up on Friday night up to the high bell, six day turnaround. There's a, you know, and the Cheetahs have a, a reasonable record against good Super Rugby teams and have more Super Rugby players. So I think that Lancer could get a scare in, in Dunfontaine and hopefully want, you know, I suppose what we want is a competitive game on Saturday in Port Elizabeth. I suppose the, the, the missing faces of level playing field a bit, but I think Lancer have enough quality to get the results of both games. All right. Thanks very much, Roy. I really appreciate you joining us. No, it's your Well, we have all that to look forward to over the next few months on the Left Wing Podcast. This is our first ever one. Thank you so much for listening. Did you enjoy yourself, Luke? I really did. We were a little bit nervous coming into it, Will. We lost Dara Whelan, who we probably should give a little bit of a shout yeah, out to. Yeah, our former producer Dara's <laughs> gone, so it was me and Luke manning the ship. The inmates were running the asylum this week, so apologies <laughs> if there was any gremlins. Don't forget, I think Gav was probably a steadying hand. Thanks a lot, yeah, Gav. Gav, by the way. Sound, uh, was, was a you know, steady hand on the tiller. But look, we had a lot of fun, and uh, hopefully, I think, going forward, we can produce a show uh, ourselves that people enjoy listening to, and we're kind of hoping that it's going to be a nice, relaxed environment that... You know, some of our guests would be able to really give a rugby opinion. Uh, and we're hoping as well, I think, which is kind of hopefully we, what we might be able to get is maybe not just a rugby guest. You know, people with a rugby interest, obviously, that's what we want the show to be about primarily. But people from across the spectrum, hopefully, we're trying to get a few different guests from a few different fields who maybe have a different opinion, who are coming in from a different place. And maybe we get some ideas that are quite interesting for us to discuss on the show and Hopefully people find it interesting. Said it better than I ever could. Thanks so much for listening this week. You can get the Left Wing Podcast with Luke Fitzgerald on iTunes, SoundCloud, or on independent.ie. In the meantime, Luke's going off to Crystal to celebrate his 30th birthday tonight. <laughs> I wasn't invited, so I'll just be at home. But until next week, thanks so much for listening, and goodbye.